0: it is then again and i am glenn and i am marie and we have a topic today that we had talked about talking about and i have some severe moral objections to it because we're going to be talking about the atlanta campaign of the civil war in 25 minutes
1: which is just so much i don't even if we did a battle a minute we still wouldn't we, get we wouldn't
0: we wouldn't get it, it we wouldn't no. get it because i will i will start out saying this that when most people think of the battle of the Civil War, they think of Gettysburg. And Gettysburg is fine if you like that sort of thing. But those of us who have studied the Civil War know that it's not so much an issue of North and South, it's an issue of East and West, Eastern Theater versus Western Theater and how those things fall out. And, those, and, and I think Marie is along with me on this ride. We think the Western Theater is far more important than the Eastern Theater. Or do you think that way?
1: I actually don't necessarily think that particularly. Get out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, look, look you, you tell me why you you don't think that particularly, and then, then I'll tell you why I get on my soapboxes.
1: <laughs> I think, of course, that's where a lot of the focus is necessarily with just history, but also I think that's where the focus was at the time. And then I focus more on the social history aspect and therefore I think the battles in the east were more important socially
0: because society was in the the East. east
1: exactly so therefore when I come at it from a social history perspective the eastern theater is more important just because that affected more people affected more lives affected the infrastructure of the country more so
0: ah but did it the Eastern Theater consists of just a few hundred square miles of territory and a few hundred miles of railroad. When you look at the... Let's define our terms. So traditionally, the Eastern Theater is everything sort of from North Carolina and the eastern, and the eastern part of the Appalachian Mountains up to Pennsylvania. Right? That's, that's sort of the Eastern Theater. The Western Theater is everything... West of the Appalachian Mountains, south to the Gulf, and westwards all the way to the Mississippi River. What? So you
1: cut like the e- the Eastern Theater at South North Carolina, and then down. Yes. Oh, see, I was thinking like west of Mississippi River.
0: Oh no, no, oh, okay. this is no, no, no. This is this is the Western. That's the Trans Mississippi okay. Theater. Okay. That's Trans Mississippi. when I
1: was thinking Western Theater, I'm thinking like. West, where I'm just oh, like, no, they were like no, very
0: no. yeah. This is place. this is Western theater, and
1: oh well, at that point, then I agree because that's where Ha-ha. Atlanta is. I
0: got her. Yes,
1: <laughs> there. I mean, that's where all the battles
0: happened. Right, right. So, below so that yes. Point. So now that we've defined our terms and there defined we what we mean when we yes. say Eastern theater, or Western theater, I would posit. That the Eastern Theater, all those battles with General Lee and the succession of the leaders of the Army of the Potomac, didn't solve anything. If they had, the war wouldn't have lasted four years. The Western theater, however, covered so much more territory, was involved in so much more trade-off of states and going back and forth. And it's where the Union was winning the war. And and Abraham Lincoln. Got so frustrated with people saying we're losing the war because everyone in the East was focused on Antietam and and Lee and how he's going to get to DC. And he's like, Look, Grant's taking the entire Tennessee River. We're about to take the Mississippi River. We're winning the war. And no one paid attention, just like they don't today. But.
1: Except for the, those of us in Georgia, because. Right. <laughs> the Atlanta campaign strikes incredibly close to home. Yes. And therefore, there is a lot of attention paid to it, especially in North Georgia.
0: Right, and because that's where, you know, we still have many of those battles, or the battlefields are preserved, except for those in Atlanta. We can maybe get to that in a second. But, so, the Atlanta campaign begins in spring of 1864. The war's been going on for two and a half years now, and nothing has been solved. And there's a larger problem going on in the union, which is that a presidential election is coming up.
1: And that's always disruptive.
0: Yes, and it's going to be a referendum on, is Lincoln's administration winning the war? So having not had the groundbreaking victories that the union public is looking for, Lincoln's got to do something. So he puts Grant in overall charge. Grant's in charge in the East, but he puts his favorite... Subordinate Sherman in command in the West. An
1: infamous name. You know
0: Sherman. He's so mean and yet so good. He burns. Well, he doesn't burn everything. That's the that's the popular image. But he knows what he's about. we'll get to that
1: as well. Yeah, we'll get to that as well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Sherman's. So the the plan is Grant's going to drive forward and get to Richmond. Sherman's going to drive forward and get into the interior. Atlanta is not the immediate goal, but it turns out to be the goal simply because that's where the railroads go.
1: Also known as Terminus before known as Atlanta because it's the railroad terminal. Right,
0: and then it was known as Marthasville because it was named for Governor Lumpkin's daughter for a short period of time, but that's that's the old, old name. So Sherman starts out in Chattanooga with a big old army of about 90,000 men. Opposing him is a fellow named Joseph E. Johnston, and he has a Confederate force of about, oh, it varies during the campaign, about sixty to 70,000. So he is outnumbered. But he is on the defensive. And here's and picture in your mind a map of North Georgia. Sherman's starting in, in Chattanooga. Johnson's opposing him in Dalton. And even if Sherman continues to drive south.
1: On 75.
0: Yeah, but 75. he has to follow the railroads because <laughs> that's how his supplies are getting to him and the railroads today. Today, 75 follows the path of those railroads. Yeah. As Sherman drives further into Georgia, achieving his goals, he gets further and further away from his supply lines. Johnston, as he retreats into Georgia, gets closer and closer to his supply lines, which is why Sherman is tied to that railroad. And Sherman knows he's got to stay tied to that railroad to maintain the overwhelming emphasis that he has and the superiority he has in numbers and in supplies. So, you know, the first battles happen around Dalton. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Rocky Face Ridge, Risaka.
0: And and basically what happens is there's not a, a quote big battle. These are these are core size skirmishes that involve about thirty, maybe thirty thousand men, because Sherman's trying to get around Johnston's flank and Johnston is simply backing up and preventing him from doing that. And, and it
1: feels almost like there's because the two that I mentioned that, that were first, Rocky Face Rage and Risaka, are still defined as battles, but they're very they're com- smaller comparatively. battles comparatively. And then there's just a million skirmishes going on almost constantly as they are trying to outflank each other. And troops just kind of run into each other in the Georgia wilderness and right. have a little skirmish.
0: And cavalry is of great use on this campaign because they're trying to get around the, the respective flanks and cut each other's supply lines, right? If you, if you get to a railroad and, tie, and literally tear up 100 feet of railroad line, which, a, which you know 500 men can do in about an hour— your railroad doesn't work until you get that repaired and nothing gets through. So they're guarding the—again, am I hammering the railroad thing hard enough here? The railroads are key, and Sherman has to stick to them so he can't go very wide and Johnston know this. The problem is, as Johnston continues to retreat, knowing he has an inferiority in the number of men, he is getting lots of flack from Richmond, from the political leadership. Stop retreating, stop retreating, stop giving up our territory— Stop letting our people be occupied by Union forces. And he knows he can't win a, a face-to-face battle with Sherman because he doesn't have the people.
1: Well, he did at the Battle of Kennesaw.
0: Ah, uh, yes, Kennesaw. But how did—so how does Kennesaw happen? So Sherman comes—he's coming south, and he keeps trying these flanking maneuvers because he knows Johnston wants him to attack him in the front. Because Johnson's going to win that way. And at, and at Kennesaw, basically, right before that, Sherman has gotten frustrated, tried to go way around Johnson's flank, and gotten off the railroad, and his forces get beaten at Pickett's Mill and New Hope Church. So he's like, okay, I'm just going to attack. I've had it. I've got to break through. I've got to crush his army. So I'm going to attack. And he happens to attack at the place Johnson has the best prepared defenses around Kennesaw Mountain, right? Right. He's on a mountain.
1: High ground. Always going to win.
0: <laughs> He's on a mountain. His, his troops are dug in, and Sherman attacks, and it's a, it's a very interesting battle. If you're close enough to go to the battlefield, they tell a great story at the Visitor Center, and the driving tours are excellent. You can still see a lot of the ground exactly as it was. But unsurprisingly, Sherman fails to break Johnston's army in prepared positions and takes a lot of losses. So Sherman, taking those losses, decides to go back to a flanking maneuver, which also, however, makes Johnson abandon that Kennesaw line. They're getting closer and closer to Atlanta, uh, and Atlanta's starting to panic. And let me also note that this summer, this is happening in 1864, is one of the wettest and hottest summers on record. And these troops are having to do all the marching, all the digging, all the fighting in absolutely atrocious weather conditions. It's terrible. It's not fun. It's terrible. Now, as Johnston continues to pull back, Confederate Confederate President Davis has had enough. He's like, you're not going to fight. You are hereby relieved of command. I'm going to send someone who will fight. And he sends a fellow named John B. Hood. And Hood is a veteran of the Eastern Theater. Uh, He's already lost an arm. He's already lost a leg. He is a hard fighter. He was was at Gettysburg. And that's the reason Davis places him in command is because he knows he's going, instead of having these withdrawing defensive tactics, Hood is going to attack.
1: And that's mid-July of 1864. So basically he let Joseph E. Johnson have a pretty long leash of all of May and all of June and half of July and then was basically like, stop, stop. Like you won at Kennesaw Mountain and you still somehow lost territory.
0: Right, right. You're
1: obviously not going to win this.
0: Well, Johnston thought he was because he was having fantastically complex defensive works built around Atlanta and was settling in for a siege.
1: Oh, I'm sure he was. Which Davis Davis wanted. Davis
0: wanted none of that. No. Davis also. Was about 1,500 miles away and had no idea what the reality on the ground was.
1: Which is just such an interesting aspect of the Civil War. There are just people writing letters and telegrams.
0: Just go here. I've looked at the map. The river's right there. Just go there. Well, it's
1: a little different on a the little, ground. It's more
0: complicated. So Hood is placed in command, and Hood, over a series of, over about a week and a half, attacks in three different areas. Because he, he
1: goes on the offensive immediately.
0: And he attacks hard, and he pushes Sherman, but the problem is Hood doesn't have as many men. Sherman sees him coming and does a little bit of digging in, and every one of Hood's attacks over those over that week and a half, Battle of Atlanta, Battle of Peachtree Creek, fail. They fail, and they cost a lot of casualties that the Confederates cannot replace the way Sherman can replace them. And as a result, Hood pulls back into Atlanta, and settles down into a siege behind those fancy siege works that Johnston had had prepared. And so Sherman's like, okay, I want to get into the city. And so he goes on another big flanking maneuver, because if Hood's in the city, he needs his supplies to come in through, guess what, railroads. So Sherman goes south and fights a battle in Jonesboro, which, again, is a battle most of you have probably never heard of, but some would argue it is the most important battle of the entire American Civil War.
1: I would also argue that actually a fair amount of people have heard about this. They just might not have realized it, because the battle that is most portrayed in popular culture in Gone with the Wind
0: it's just, yeah. is
1: the Battle of Jonesboro. So you, if you've watched Gone with the Wind, you have seen a portrayal of the Battle of Jonesboro. Right. Because the fictional Terra is in Jonesboro. And this is... It's an ugly battle. It's an ugly two-day battle that is just it outnumbered Confederate forces attempting a little bit of a last stand. Because Hood
0: had wasted them all.
1: Yes. <laughs> and it's just it's just sad.
0: And, and the, the goal is to keep the railroad coming into Atlanta in Confederate hands. But at Jonesboro, the Union cuts that railroad line. And as a result, Hood decides that he has to pull the Army out of Atlanta and leave it at to Sherman. And as a result, I think that that's on September on the evening of September 1st, Hood moves his army out of Atlanta and burns most of the supplies that he can't move with him, including railroad cars and black powder, explosives and shells and rations and everything. Th- this is also what's shown in- in-, in in Gone with the Wind, right? It's the conflagration that burns Atlanta. Now imagine being in Atlanta and being told that you're being kept safe and that the Confederate Army is there for you. And then one night, the Army leaves.
1: And burns down, you know,
0: so a all fair of your amount of their and, stuff with yes. it.
1: To where the explosions were heard for miles. Miles away. And miles.
0: And you know that when you wake up in the morning, there's going to be a whole lot of soldiers in blue suits marching into your city. It's a scary proposition, folks. The and mayor so,
1: did go out to greet them well, yes, and yes. be like, "We surrender." Yeah,
0: so yeah, so on that morning when they realize the army's gone, the mayor of Atlanta marches out and surrenders the city to to Sherman and to, and to the Union forces. Union strategy and at least in the west achieved Sherman's goals achieved and they capture Atlanta. Now, Atlanta is important because it was a rail center, because it was a manufacturing center, and at a certain point because it became a spiritual center. And Sherman, the, I've I've seen the actual handwritten orders in his hand that say, "Bombard the civilians in the in in the city, do it because we have to break their will." Again, this is Sherman, right?
1: Sherman has a very total war mindset. He was
0: decades ahead of his time. He really was decades was ahead of his time
1: in, in warfare.
0: So that, in effect, is in a nutshell the Atlanta campaign. Now there's still. Uh, Sherman hangs out in Atlanta for a while. He sends um, a
1: telegram to Lincoln that says Atlanta is ours and fairly won and very much
0: helps Lincoln get reelected. Right, and that's that's sort of the point. So he leaves uh, Atlanta and heads off towards Savannah. This is Sherman's march through Georgia. We're not going to talk about that and That's today. a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing.
1: Which also Georgians have very strong feelings about still.
0: But yes, but but here are, here are the questions. Here are the the big picture views on the Atlanta campaign. On a smaller scale, number one, who was right, Johnston or Hood? Or were they both wrong in their own way? And this is something that, that military historians have gone back and forth with, literally since Hood replaced Johnson in command. It's like some people have defended Johnson, saying Johnson was using Fabian tactics. I'm going to make you all look that up, see what it means. F-A-B-I-A-N. But he kept pulling back, pulling back, waiting for a good opportunity, knowing that his resources were not only less than his enemies, but incredibly limited and irreplaceable. So he was doing the most with what he had. On the other hand, you don't win wars by retreating and giving up territory, which is what was frustrating Davis, which is why Hood was placed in command. My personal take is that Johnson probably should have been replaced, but I really don't think Hood was the guy to do it with. There's also the apocryphal story that Davis and Johnston never got along because they got in a fight at West Point over a girl and they hated each other since then. Ah, There's no way to know how much that plays into things.
1: It's always interesting. There's a lot of those stories, like how Mary, you know, uh, not Marietta, because Marietta got pretty well destroyed in the Atlanta campaign. Yes. (laughs) But Madison, Georgia, there's that whole story that Sherman had a girl there and that's why the town didn't get burned. Right. There's a lot of, like, those folk stories, if you will, that somehow a lot of them surround the Atlanta campaign.
0: Right. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up Marietta because that's one of the things I wanted to bring up is, you know, Sherman came eventually to be seen as a super bad guy because of the March to the Sea, but all of his hallmarks were there during the Atlanta campaign. And one of those instances that, right, right. And so when he, well, he did that, on the march to the sea, because he needed those railroads coming south to Atlanta.
1: Oh, that's true. Yes. So not not quite yet.
0: But he, With but, the but then he, when he captured Marietta, he had his soldiers go all over town and bring everyone in town to the square. And then he went and made a huge bonfire on the square of all their war material and some of their railroad equipment and things, and basically had his officers make a speech saying, this is how powerful we are and how weak you are we are winning, you need to give up, because there is not a a force in this world that can stop us. And that's Sherman.
1: He also took all of the mill workers who were making those supplies, most of which were women and children, and sent them on railroad cars up to Kentucky, where they froze to death during the winter.
0: Well, it didn't all freeze to death. (laughs) A lot of them Only a third of them. Uh, Yeah, check out the Roswell Mill if you want to see what today would probably consider a war crime. There have been lots of moot courts uh, looking at Sherman.
1: Or the mill at Sweetwater Creek.
0: Yes, yeah. Which
1: is New Manchester, the mill at New Manchester. But today, it's Sweetwater Creek State Park. Also used that mill, the the remnants of it that Sherman had burned, or Sherman's troops had burned, uh, used in the Hunger Game movies. That's a, right. That's right. So it's very interesting, you know, to represent burned out District Thirteen. They also used out burned out Atlanta during the Civil War. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ruins are all the rage in the movies. You've got to have have a good ruin set to to pull it off.
1: And Civil War ruins. What's better?
0: (laughs) But, yeah, and, and Marie, you've already touched on the big effect. And this is why proponents of the Western Theater and especially the Atlanta campaign say that it's so important. Because the Union victory in the Atlanta campaign proved that not only was the Lincoln administration's plan for war working, but that it would continue to work. And as a result, in that election in November, Lincoln was reelected, which means the war was going to go on. Because who was Lincoln's opponent? McClelland, who had been a commander of the Army of the Potomac and was running on the Democratic ticket of more or less, we've already spent enough blood and treasure on this war. Let's just let the South go and make peace so that we can all live in harmony. That was Lincoln's opposition. And for a while, he was very popular. But the Atlanta campaign assures that Lincoln will be reelected It assures the Union will continue the war. And it's one of those things where, you know, these hardcore military historians want to look at specific battles and the tactics and, and how the strategies work out, but they ignore those larger picture issues like presidential elections and, and what the Senate is going to do about all these things and internal party politics within the Republicans and there are so many factors but it's that it's that western theater it's that atlanta campaign that gives us the history of the civil war as we have it today
1: and also as you we were talking about the larger picture once you know you mentioned the political but we've also touched on the social of just like how the atlanta campaign and then the march to the sea just broke the will of those who were still still supporting the confederacy to the point where they didn't feel like they could go on.
0: Right, and, th- and that, was, that was all part of Sherman's plan, right? He wasn't just about defeating the enemy army. He, he, in many letters, he said, I'm going to break the will of the Confederates to resist, not just the army, but the people, the citizens, the ones who make the war machine go. I'm going to break them. And man, he does.
1: You could still argue that there is a segment of the population, especially in South Georgia, where the march to the sea happened, That still have bad feelings because, you know, Sherman did something to my great-grandfather's farm and whatever, to the point where, like, there's still some hard feelings.
0: Oh, there's a lot. Anybody in any true southerner here in Georgia (laughs) who was asking about Sherman will consider him the most loathsome of men and a war criminal of the highest order. I Um, went to the
1: governor's mansion in Milledgeville, where Sherman spent the night one time, and 'Cause he used the governor's mansion as his headquarters. Why wouldn't you? I mean, it's the best like house in Georgia almost at that time. So yeah. And they of course they have, you know, the little display where they say, you know, we use this as his office and slept here and they have a little picture of Sherman. And the tour guide was telling us about how there have been multiple people who spit at the picture still. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. In a museum?
0: That's that's people. It's true. That's people.
1: Also my favorite is how, you know, someone who's from like west georgia like southwest georgia it's like ah oh, sherman burnt my grandfather's farm right here and it's like sherman was nowhere near you
0: not even close not even close nope
1: i'm sure it burned down there's lots of fires but i don't think you can blame that one on, <laughs> <laughs> on Sherman. but
0: we're going to anyway we're going to anyway well folks that's all the time we have i'm not sure how we made it through the entire atlanta campaign in 25 minutes but we did but we sincerely hope This will give you just a little bit of appetite to go out and read more. If you want to delve into some hardcore histories, that's fine. If you want to read some of the more, you know, the broad aspect issue of stuff, there's some smaller works out there. But yes, the Atlanta Campaign, the Western Theater, where all true Civil War historians live. Check it out. Keep tuning in. We love to have you. Keep listening to the podcast. And until we see you again, stay safe and take care.
2: Bye. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the Donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THEN AGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of THEN AGAIN. Thanks, y'all.